Saturday. Okay. So, uh, I experienced a little trauma this morning. Came in early, got my cup of coffee, came back to my computer to work, looking very far. I have trouble sleeping because I'm still trying to adjust from the mission strip and looking very forward to that cup of coffee. And I taste the coffee. I'm expecting it to be hot. I'm expecting it to be fulfilling, and it's lukewarm. And I'm just like, this, this is a problem. And I, I came back out, and Earl Reiner is sitting out there. I'm like, Earl, we, we've got a, we had a problem with the coffee. And um, so we tested the two other ones. They were hot. And I, I said, this, this one, we... we we got a, and Earl's like, well, what should we do with it? I'm like, dump it. Dump it all. We, you can't serve lukewarm coffee. Anyway, so they took it downstairs, and they were, they were worried that the heating element, there was something wrong with the heating element. And uh, they came back up, and they said, no, we figured it out. Nothing wrong with the heating element. What happened was, the last people that used it did not dump it out, so there was this old, cold coffee mixed with the new coffee, and it created lukewarm. So, probably the strongest words in the New Testament are found in Revelation 3. Jesus says, I would rather have you hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And it's a call to the church. What's happened is they've become a, a mixture, a mixture of the world, Christianity added in, and instead of being wholehearted and a fire burning, it's become this lukewarm form of Christianity that ultimately is a joyless Christianity, it's a powerless Christianity, and when the world tastes it, they're just like, especially when people come to church, they're looking for Jesus, and then they taste us. They don't, it's confusing to them. And so Jesus has advice. And it's, it's interesting what the advice is. It's they, he just needs them to repent. He will bring the fire. There's nothing wrong with Jesus. There's nothing wrong with our heating element. Jesus is still hot. He's always hot. The, the problem is when we become a mixture, and all we need to, is, is to own it, and we need to dump out that Christianity, we just need to start over again. Today, the, the title of the message today is The Lord, Our Sanctification. Jesus is the sanctifier. Jesus is the one that lights our, our hearts and brings the real stuff. Um, but we have to own him as our sanctifier. So could we stand together as we look at the word of God and then we will pray. This is from Leviticus chapter 22. You don't always get a verse out of Leviticus. So you shall keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord. 
and you shall not profane my holy name, that I may be sanctified among the people of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for your heart, for your people, and not just for your people, but for the world. Lord, you want our hearts to burn with your heart. You want to give us a joyful, powerful, tasteful Christianity. Help us to hear what you're saying today. God, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So we're in a series called The Names of God. And in the Bible, a name is, is who you are. And, and it, God starts out by revealing himself as the I am. And then he spends the rest of the Old Testament saying who he wants to be to us. How our name, our identity is going to change because of who he is to us. Last week we talked about he is the Lord, our righteousness and and that we receive the gift of righteousness and we get our identity in his righteousness we become one with him and and we we put that on every day because we have a right relationship with God because of what Jesus has done for us well today it's uh, Jehovah Makedesh is the Hebrew but it means the Lord who sanctifies us now sanctification is a big word theological word. So let's start. Point one, what is sanctification? It simply means to sanctify something is to set it apart. To set apart, and in this case, from something. I'm the Lord that brought you out of Egypt. Egypt represents the world all through scripture. I brought you out of the world, and then it's not just being separated from something, but to something. He separated them out of the world so that he could be their Lord, so that he could be their God, so that they would establish union with God, that he would be their people. And in the book of Leviticus, the whole book of Leviticus talks about God separating them or setting them apart for him. And, and, and oh my, they knew they were set apart. They couldn't mix with the other nations They had special food. They couldn't eat what the nations were eating and they had all these dietary restrictions. Their whole life was lived on a different time schedule. They had the Sabbath day that they had to keep every week. Then they had all these feasts, three feasts a year that, that they had to go to and they had to be part of. Then they had all these sacrifices that they had a whole system of sacrifice and how you approach God was, was through sacrifice. The priests who would serve at the altar were... Uh, they had to have blood, the blood of the sacrifice had to be applied to their ear, to their thumb, and to their big toe. They, they got it washed with blood and then anointed with oil, and it, it represented the, the, the cleansing that was necessary and this anointing by the Holy Spirit. The whole, holy means set apart. It's another word for sanctify. He is the set apart spirit. The Holy Spirit anoints us to be separate. This is how God has made a people for himself, and he wants to sanctify us. Look at Leviticus 26, 12 and 13. 
I will walk among you. I will be your God and you will be my people. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt so you would no longer be their slaves. I broke the yoke of slavery from your neck so that you can walk with your heads held high. He breaks the slavery of the world. He breaks the hold the world had so that we can walk with him, so that he can walk with us, so that we have this confidence where our heads are held high. Holiness, in in our view oftentimes, holiness is this very serious, depressing, uh, you just, you're, you're sucking on lemon juice type look. And with God, it's the exact opposite. God's holiness is happy. It's always happy holiness. It's when we are walking with him, where we're sharing that union. He's brought us out of Egypt for this union with him where our heads are held high. Now, this verse in Leviticus 26 is quoted in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 7. We'll get to that verse, but it starts out like this. Paul says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial, which is another word for Satan? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, This is Leviticus 26. I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from the midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me says the Lord God, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completeness in the fear of God. This is our identity. We are not just sinners saved by grace. We are also saints. Saint, the word saint means sanctified one. We have been set apart from the world to walk with God. This is what Jesus burns for. He is the Lord, our sanctification. What is sanctification? Secondly, it is an ongoing process that won't be completed until Jesus returns. Let me read 1 Corinthians 1.30 to you. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Jesus has become to us, has been, he's he's come into our identity and he's become our righteousness, our sanctification and our redemption. So let's talk about this for just a moment. First, it's because of him, because of the Father, that you are in Christ Jesus. When God thinks about salvation, he does not think that you're in him because you chose him. 
That's, that's, not, that's not the right view of the brokenness of human nature. We are in darkness. We are enemies of God because of sin. And the way we come to Jesus is God has to pull us in. God has to draw us. That's called grace before salvation. God draw, he said to Jesus, if you'll be lifted up on that cross, I'll draw everybody to you. I will draw people. That act of love that you give by giving yourself for the world, I will. The, Jesus said no one can come unless the Father draws him. So he draws us first. Then, yes, we do make a response. Yes, we do have a part in it. But it's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become the wisdom of God. If you, if you look around this passage in 1 Corinthians, the wisdom of God is the cross. The wisdom of man has all kinds of ways and ideas, but the wisdom of God is that he would come and he would die and that through the cross, God would redeem all people. He would bring all people to himself. And he is become to us, Jesus has become righteousness, Righteousness, we talked about it last, last week. When God draws us, we're in Egypt, and God comes into Egypt, and he draws us to himself, and the way he delivers us out of Egypt is by giving us this gift of righteousness. When they were in Egypt, the last thing that happened was the Passover, where they, they killed the lambs, and they applied the blood of the lamb, and that was how they got released from Egypt. And this is, this is how we come out of the world, by the blood of the lamb, by receiving the righteousness that God gives us by a gift. And so we have, everybody that's accepted Christ, has already been made holy. You've already been set apart by God and for God. So Jesus has become righteousness to us, and we talked about that last week. And then he's become sanctification. What is sanctification? What's the difference between sanctification and righteousness? Even though we've been set apart by God, even though Jesus has died for us, now Jesus needs to in this process, conform us and, and make us more holy by his grace. You can be out of Egypt, but Egypt is still inside you. Sanctification is God getting Egypt out of you. They came out of Egypt, but even though they were physically out, they kept dreaming about going back to Egypt. And, and you know, everything was so great there, and there all these comforts, and I wish we were back in Egypt. And that's just in the human heart. And so Jesus isn't just our, our righteousness that, that we are all holy, everybody that's in Christ, but he is our sanctification. We are becoming holier and holier by this process. And then he is also redemption. Redemption is our future. We talked about this a few weeks ago, that when Jesus returns, we will be raised with new bodies and then we will be completely holy. We will lose the sin nature completely. A good way to think about this I, we used to have some friends that flipped homes. And uh, when they bought the home, and usually, of course, they're buying it very low. It's usually uh, some type of foreclosure. They buy the home, and it's, it's, it's holy at that point. It's, it's theirs. They've got the deed. It has been set apart for them. And then what they would do is they would start 
working on the remodeling. And as soon as they got one room already, they would move into that room. And so they're, they're in that house. It's, they're dwelling in that house. But they can't dwell in the whole thing yet because it has to be refurbished. They have to make each room just how they want it. This is what the Bible says, that we, are, we have been predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ, that he is working by his grace, cleaning us up. Why? So that he can dwell more fully in us, so that he can more fully inhabit us. You can be saved and be filled with the Holy Spirit, but there's only one room filled right now because everything else is still a mess. And God is working through this process called sanctification of making us more and more set apart for his presence. We were holy, we, we've been made holy, we are being made holy, and one day we will be completely holy. All right, so that's what sanctification is. Point two, only have two points. Hope, hope you're not disappointed by that. Last point, being sanctified today. Jesus is praying for our sanctification. Here, here's John 17, 13 through 20. I think we'll have it up here too. John 17, here we are. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. He's praying to the Father for us. Notice, he wants the full measure of joy in us. He died for this. He wants us to have a happy holiness. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them, set them apart by the truth. Your word is truth. Uh Uh-oh, we're back there. Go back, back, one. there we go. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. This is those who are going to believe through their message. He's praying that we will be sanctified. He's praying that we will be set apart by truth. He has sanctified himself. He set himself apart, became a human being, died on the cross so that he could sanctify us, so that he could make a people that God would dwell in. He said this earlier, John 8, 31 and 32. If you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. This is a process he's describing of us and the truth, that the truth is going to set us apart from sin for God. The truth of his death and resurrection, that needs to get into us. He died for us, not just so that he could forgive us in our sin, but so that he could deliver us from our sin. He is freeing us from sin for fellowship with God. And as we walk in the truth, as we allow the truth to wash over us, we're getting more and more sanctified, more and more set apart for the very presence of God. He says the world is going to hate them just like they hated me. 
Why does the world hate on fire Christians? Here's why. They can't control them anymore. They, they can't exercise control. They can't, they can't manipulate them. They can't influence them. They are burning. And so that, that's a frustration, and they want to control. They want to control. And so we're going to have this, this set apart from the world because we're not of the world, but very, very different than in the Old Testament in, Le, in Leviticus. All of those ceremonial laws that separated them were a picture of inward sanctification today. Jesus says, I'm sending them back to the world. The world that hates them, I'm, they're God's gift to the world. I'm sending them into the world. In fact, in verse 23 of chapter 17, he prays this, Father, make them one, even as you and I are one, then the world will know. The world will know that you have sent me and that you have loved them even as you have loved me. The world is going to find out through them how much I love the world. So the very people that hate us, we're called to reach. We're called to reveal God. And so there's this necessary sanctification, this separation, so that we're different than the world, so that we actually have a message that can reach the world. This is all part of sanctification. All right, so let's talk about the three ways that Jesus internally sanctifies us or sets us apart. Here's how we're set apart from the world. All right, number one, motivation. Motivation is who you live for. There's a a passage in, in Matthew chapter 10, 28 through 39. I'm not gonna read it to you, but it's very, very strong of what this thing is supposed to look like. He, he starts out by saying this, don't fear those who kill the body. Fear him who after the body is dead can destroy both body and soul in hell. You need to have your eyes on God, not people. Then he says this, whoever acknowledges me before the Father or before men, whoever is unashamed of their relationship and acknowledges me open, openly before men, I will acknowledge him when I come in my Father's glory. But whoever denies me before men now, I will deny before my Father when I come in his glory. And then he lays it out. He lays out the Christian life. Whoever loves, loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up his own cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Uh, uh, you, that whoever tries to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. This is about being all in for one, an audience of one. We need to live for God, not for man. And this is part of our sanctification. God is breaking the fear of man in us. Amen. So last two weeks ago, we had our pastor's retreat. We have it every pastor and wives and extended staff come up to and we have this retreat and um, I always have a message for them to inspire and I had written out a big message but the night before the retreat I had a dream and here was the dream I'm teaching a class and the time is up it is time to be done everybody knows this is the time we dismiss but I can't dismiss them 
because I just feel like God is saying don't. I, I can't release people. And people are complaining, it's time to leave. It's time to leave. Some people get up and start walking out and I'm just, I'm not free to release them. And a voice comes over the top and here's, here's what the voice says. Didn't see anybody, just a voice. Authority in the next season is gained by obedience in the present one. Say it again. Authority in the next season is gained by obedience in the present one. So I wake up and I, I go down, I, I always have my quiet time early in the morning, I write this, I write this sentence in the, in, in the journal. I'm like, what, just what exactly does this mean? Authority in the next season is gained by obedience in the present one. And um, Saul and David come to mind. So here's the story of Saul. Saul is the first king of Israel. He is the, the, the head of their army. Um, they, are, they are confronting the Philistines and the prophet Samuel has said, um, don't, don't face them. Don't start the war until I come and give the sacrifice. That's, that's when you'll know God is with you. And so he, he's supposed to wait seven days and seven days go past and there is no uh, Samuel. Samuel hasn't come. And so Saul sees that the, God, the, the army's starting to scatter and so he gets afraid and he goes ahead and makes the sacrifice himself. And just as he makes the sacrifice on the seventh day, Samuel walks up. And here's the conversation. 1 Samuel 13, 11 through 13. What have you done? Asked Samuel. Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. Saul was being tested. Is he going to wait for God, or is he going to take matters in his own, own hand? He's got his eyes on people. He's got his eyes on what people are doing. The, his army is starting to scatter. The Philistines are starting to assemble. And he responds to that instead of to God, and he goes ahead and disobeys because he's compelled. He forces himself because he wants to keep the people. And God says, I had so much for you in the next season and it's all taken away now. You, you would have ruled over Israel. Your name would have been, your, your house would have been over Israel forever, but now it has been removed. That's, that's all. And then here's David. The story of David is he is... Uh, he has been running around with his men. They've been, he's been anointed, but, but he's not king yet. And he has this horrible, horrible test. 
where they, they were out, when they came back to the, the city they were living in, Ziklag, um, it was completely burned. Their wives and their children were taken. All their stuff was taken. And it was just a very, very difficult time. And here we go, 1 Samuel 36. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. The next, verse, the next verses tell us he goes before the priest and the, he's got the ephod where they heard from God and he sought for the Lord's direction. Should we go after them or not? And the Lord spoke and said, go after them. I'll, I'll give it all back. So they go after them and they get back their wives and their children and all of their stuff and they bring it back to Ziklag and three days later, David gets the word, Saul is dead and you're the new king. Three days later, obedience in the present season, he passed God's test. We, at our national convention this last year, the speaker talked about Saul and David, and he said, he said, here's the question that Saul continually asks himself. Do they like me? 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 And here's the question David always asks. Am I pleasing to you? So what's this got to do with our church? What's this got to do with our pastoral staff? A couple of years ago, we just had a number of words about going into the land, that it's, it's time for City Church to go forward. And we didn't know what it mean, meant except that God was saying it, and so we, uh, we set apart these meetings called Worship and Waiting. And we have one, actually, next Sunday night. Worship and waiting. Coming before God as a congregation with no agenda. Just to worship. Allow worship to cleanse our minds, cleanse our agendas, cleanse all the self-focus of all the things going around, and then wait on God. God, what are you going to say? What are you going to do? And, And then as we did this, the Lord started showing us, oh, it's not about an event. It's not that we have this event every six weeks. It's actually about a culture. That all we do at Worship and Wing is practice. We practice what God wants for our whole life. God wants lives that are worshiping so we're cleansed from our own agenda, from just trying to manipulate God to do what we want to, to cleanse us from survival living. He wants to worship and then wait on him to get our eyes off of people and what people are doing so that he can direct us, so that he can speak, so that his kingdom can come in this world, that heaven can come to earth through regular people like you and I. Motivation. Jesus sets us apart, not by having us live apart from non-Christians, not by having us eat different foods. Those were all ceremonial laws that were just a picture of this separation we're gonna have. We're gonna live for a different audience than the world. 
We're not gonna live by polls. We're not gonna live by what will make us look the best. We're not gonna live by who's gonna like me and who doesn't like me. We're gonna live in the presence of God for an audience of one. He sets us apart in our motivation. Secondly, the second way he sets us apart is in our worldview. How we view the world. We, uh, at our retreat, we take time to pray for everybody that's there. And you get prayed for as an individual if you're not married and as a couple if you are. And the way it works is we put a couple, we just put whoever it is in the middle and they get to tell us whatever's going on in their life, whatever they would like prayer for. And each prayer time is 25 minutes. You get 25 minutes on the watch. 25 minutes, you, whatever you want to say, you take up as much time sharing or having them pray, whatever. And, uh, and people pray over you and they give you words. And, and so they came to me and just talked about the burden of, of leading the church and, and that I really believe God has something very special for this church and I basically, I just don't want to mess up. I, wa- I want God to do everything he wants to do in this church. And, and so Sarah, Pastor Sarah, has this word for me. And two nights ago, they had this uh, drama night here in the sanctuary. And, and she teaches drama over at the school. And the, there were five dramas five little mini plays that were lived out and, or, or acted out and the kids were the directors. Sarah kind of directed the directors but the, the, the kids owned this thing and, and here was her word for me. She said, a director does not write the story. He's in church. Somebody else wrote the story. It's not his story. It's somebody else's story. And what a director has to do is serve the story and get all of the actors to recognize this isn't about them. This is about the story. They need to serve the story. They need to humble themselves, their own ideas, their own attitudes, what they, the message they'd like to give, and they need to all be on the same page to serve the the story that that writer was going to tell. They're, they're not supposed to think about the audience and how can we make the audience because some of the directors like had funny things that they had added and she's like, why is this in here? Oh, I thought it'd be funny. No, no, you, 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 don't, you don't get that right. You serve the story. You tell the story the way the writer wrote it and you help other people to serve the story and whatever the audience does with that, that's just what happens. But you don't, you don't do anything for the audience. You serve the story. And so her encouragement to me was, I need to serve the story. I just need to tell the story. That's my part. And it's not just telling the story and serving the story, but giving the story in the way that the writer intended it to be told. And so... This is called worldview. What is God's, what is God's story? What is his story? What is the story he's telling for the human race? Redemption. God loves people. People are sinners. But God loves people. Jesus came and died for them. And he wants to redeem people. 
He wants to bring people back. This is the story. You didn't write it, but we either serve it or we don't serve it. The story right now, folks, is not global warming. It's, it's not impeachment. It's not terrorism. It's not school shootings. These are all things that are happening. It's certainly not the American dream. These are stories that are being told out there, but it's not our story. Our story is redemption. That is the guiding story. We, we set ourselves apart for the story. And so I have three questions for you on the story. Number one, is your life serving his story? Have you, have you humbled yourself and humbled your life to tell his story? He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. This is why we're here. This is what we're doing. We're here to serve his story. Yes, all kinds of stuff are happening around us. Don't be distracted by many stories. God's story is not about the Packers. Sorry to disappoint. His story is about redemption. Is your life serving that story? Second question, have you, have you changed the story? Is your story more about you than it is about God? Yeah, Jesus is kind of part of it, but Jesus really came uh, to, to make my life this center. That's not the story. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, not my name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Not my kingdom come, not my will be done. I'm not trying to get God to build my kingdom and make my name great. I'm, the story is about him. He's the hero of this story. Have I changed the story and made it about something that it's not supposed to be about? And then thirdly, have you limited the story? Americans are famous for this one. We're going to make the, the redemption story of a small little part of our religious life. But most of our life is a different story. The other, rest of the story is about me and getting a hat and dog eat dog. And w- Guys, God's story has to be about our whole life. This, this is called being hot. <laughs> this, is, this is the message of the gospel that we, our worldview joins God. We join a story we did not write and we humble ourselves and we serve that story. Worldview. Let me read to you a verse in uh, Isaiah chapter eight. Verse 11 through 14, 8. The Lord has given me a strong warning. Listen, strong warning. Here's the warning. Not to think like everyone else does. He said, don't call everything a conspiracy like they do. And don't live in dread of what frightens them. Make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life. He is the one you should fear. He is the one who should make you tremble. He will keep you safe. The NAS says he will be a sanctuary for you in your day. Guys, 
There's all kinds of conspiracies out there. There's all kinds of things people are afraid of. We're not to think the way other people think. He's set us apart. We're sanctified. We have a different world view than the world. We're not worrying about what they worry about. They're worried about the economy. They're worried about all kinds of stuff they're worried about. Stop it. I'm strongly warning you, don't think that way. Think differently. This is about redemption. This is about God's love. This is about God's sovereignty. And we are carriers of his story. But it's not just that we join the story and serve the story. Uh, Sarah said, you also need to tell the story the way he told it, the way he wants it told. This is Luke 9, 53 through 56. But they did not receive him because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what kind of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. So here it is. We have got Jesus' disciples. These are not just disciples. These are the close ones. There's three really close ones, Peter, James, and John. So this is James and John. Jesus sent them on a mission to go to prepare things in Samaria so that they can take the shortcut to get back to Jerusalem, and they get on the edge of Samaria, and the Samaritans won't let them in. They know what they want to do. They said, no, we're not letting you in. And so the disciples have an idea. Let's call down fire and get rid of them. They love Jesus. They're his leaders. And they're telling the story in a completely wrong way. Jesus says, you guys don't even know what spirit you're of. Here's how I want the story told. I want the story told with hearts filled with love and words filled with grace. This is how I want the story told. Has anybody ever just thought it would be handy if God would just kind of take somebody out? (laughs) Lord, I love you. You know how hard my job is. Would you just remove my boss? Just, Just let fire come. Lord, you know this family member that is constantly tormenting me. Um, Remove them. It's the wrong spirit. It's the wrong spirit. See, there's something that happens to us when we experience rejection. So the Samaritans say, uh, no, you're not coming here. They have made a circle that has them on the outside. Has anybody ever been marginalized? Has anybody ever let, they let you know you're not invited. You're not welcome. That it's just me and mine and you don't fit in because you don't think like us. You don't vote like us. You're not, you're not, you don't, you don't party like us. So you're on the outside. And whenever we feel that way, our immediate human response is, well, if they're going to reject me, I'm going to reject them. If they're going to reject me, I'm going to reject them. And then what happens is you can actually live out of that wound 
And so what you do so that you're not rejected by people is you reject them before they reject you. You already have a circle that has them on the outside because you're guarding yourself. And Jesus says, no, no, that's not how I want the story told. Here's how I want the story told. When somebody makes a circle and you're on the outside, I want you to make a bigger circle that includes them. They didn't invite you to that party. I want you to go out of your way to invite them to the next party you have. I want you to go out of your way to love those who have made themselves enemies to you. Well, uh, Pastor Tom, how, how would we ever do that? Oh, this is how you get to know God. You don't, you, you can't, I don't have that love. I need to get that love from Jesus. This is, this is how we become better people. Jesus said, if you love those who love you and you have, invite those who invite you, you're just like sinners. I mean, that's good, but the way, the way Christianity is seen is by how you treat your enemies, by how you treat those who reject you. And God wants the story told this way, by his love, with grace on your lips to those who have hurt you to those who have abused you, to those, he wants us to take a bigger road, a higher road, and make a circle that has them. And Pastor Tom, that doesn't come natural. No, it comes supernaturally. And it's easy to to go back from it, which is why we need to practice it. We need to practice it. We need to help each other to be loving, to be a better version of ourselves. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and by it many be defiled. That's Hebrews 12, 15. The grace of God. We are, we are, we are ministers of the grace of God. We need to live in the grace of God. That's the generosity of God. And we need to help each other stay there. This is... The worldview God wants us to have because it's heaven's worldview. It sets us apart internally. And then the third way he sets us apart is by identity. This is a quote from Francis Frangipane. It's in the book, Holiness, Truth, and the Presence of God. He said this, Holiness is an unfolding relationship with the grace of God. Holiness is not something I do. It's something God's grace does in me. It is something I cooperate with as the grace of God makes me more and more beautiful. The Bible says that we've been predestined, and that just means pre-planned. The plan was this, before the ages began, is that we would be conformed to the image of Christ, that we would become beautiful like Jesus is, and that's what sanctification is. It's a process whereby we become beautiful. Here's Deuteronomy 5.15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Of course, the Sabbath is every Saturday and no one can do any work and your animals can't work, your slaves can't work, nobody can work. You have to just be with God, just rest in God. And here's why he gave it to you, so that on that day, you would remember that the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand. He brought you out 
and brings you into the promised land by his hand. See, their old identity was work. Their old identity, while they were in Egypt, they worked seven days a week. They were their work. A slave's identity is their work. You, it's what you get done. And he says, you're, you're gonna be set apart because your identity is not going to be what you do. It's gonna be what I do on your behalf. You're gonna remember who you are. You are those who were delivered by my mighty hand. This is who you are. This is your identity. I'm setting apart this day so you remember who you are. The Ten Commandments, are. there's nine moral laws and there's one ceremonial law and that ceremonial law is the Sabbath. The ceremonial laws were given to point to a fulfillment in Christ. In the New Testament, Colossians 2, 16 and 17, it says that Jesus himself fulfilled the Sabbath day. We don't rest on a day anymore. We rest in a person. On the Sabbath day, any work they did would be punishable by death. Why? Because the picture of it is this. Any identity that we're going to save ourselves by our works is actually going to result in death. The way we are saved is not by our work, but his work on our behalf. Christianity starts by resting in Christ, by getting our identity out of us and what we do and what we're doing and get it in him and what he has done. We, they were anointed by blood and by oil. Here's how Christianity works. You get cleansed by his blood on our ears, what we hear. On our thumbs, that stands for our dealings. And our big toe, that stands for where we go. We get cleansed by the blood, and then we get anointed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the, 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 his name means set apart. He's the set apart spirit. The Holy Spirit is how we get set apart. It, you, religion could set you apart in a wrong way. <laughs> where it's all about you and your beliefs are better than everybody else and you think you're... Some, no, no, no. That's not God set apart. God set apart is by the grace of God, by the blood of the Lamb, and by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We get set apart. Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God. He said, I work more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God. The grace of God is God's engine for holiness. Well, what about the moral law? here's how the moral law changed. Ten Commandments. The moral law used to be written on stones and put on God's people. Hebrews 10, 16 says, here's how the new covenant is different from the old covenant. I'm gonna write those laws on your heart. They're gonna be inside you. All you have to do is walk with Jesus and you'll keep the, the nine moral commands. You won't commit adultery, you won't steal, you won't covet, you won't do any of those things if you walk with Jesus, because those are in you. They're, they're just your life. They're your breath. The moral law is still in, and the, the reason why Christians break the moral law is they get out of fellowship with Jesus. So what is the result? Look at 1 Corinthians one thirty one. okay? Remember what 30 was? Because of him... You are in Christ Jesus who has become wisdom, the wisdom of God to you. He has become your righteousness, your sanctification, and your redemption. Therefore, and maybe we don't have it. Therefore, whoever boasts, let him boast in the Lord. Christianity takes away our boast in us, in our religion, in our willpower, in our any power. Christianity leaves us rejoicing in him. 
Our identity is his work on our behalf, and we want to tell everybody about it. All right, last, last story, and we'll have the worship team come. The verse that goes with it is 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to this verse. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. He doesn't just call you to be sanctified. He does the sanctifying. He is the Lord, our sanctification. All we need to do is embrace him, embrace him in our identity. Is God, I I embrace this process whereby you are beautifying me. You are pointing things out. You are cleaning up the rooms. You are making me what you want me to be. And all I need to do is stay in there. Years ago, when this this church was called MGT, Madison Gospel Tabernacle, there was a missions conference and uh, Alice and I were here attending and they had a missionary from India and he might have been Indian, but he was telling a story and I don't know if it was his own story or of a colleague, but here was the story. There was a tribe in India that was very responsive to the gospel and these people became joyful and they were excited um, and changed, amazingly changed. But the problem was, is there were still some things holding on in their lives. And the missionary kept bringing them up, bringing them up, and they just weren't able to fully change in everything. And, and so he's out on a walk and he's just interceding. God, you, you call us to be holy. You, you sanctify us. And, 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 and they're not getting it. They're not getting it fully in every area. And He's, he's, he's looking at the trees, walking in the woods, and the Lord, the Lord says, uh, what, do you, what do you see in these trees? And he's like, well, it's, it's fall, and the leaves have all fallen. The Lord says, look closer. And as he looks closer, he realizes all the leaves haven't fallen. There's, there's some holder honors. They look, the branches look bare from the outside, but if you look really close, there's leaves here and leaves there and leaves there. And the Lord said, he just had a stream of thoughts come to his mind. The Lord said this. There's two ways of getting those those leaves off. One would be for you to climb up there and cut them off one by one. But he said, there's another way to get those off. Wait for spring to come. Because the new life comes through the same holes as the old life and it just pushes them out very naturally. And the Lord said, you don't have to worry about things that are just hanging around easily besetting sins and get overly paranoid. Get them focusing on the new life. Get them filled with the new life. The old things will pass away as the new life springs up. Make your focus the new life. Can we have every head bowed, every eye closed? So maybe you're here today and you are still in Egypt. The world has you, the world has enslaved you, Sin has you, the opinions of others, and you just, 
you need Jesus to come and free you. The Bible says, Jesus says this, I stand at the door and knock. That's the grace of God coming to you in your sin. If anyone hears my voice, no matter how they've sinned, no matter how long they've sinned, however bad it's been, if anyone hears my voice and opens their door, I will come in. Friend, this is why Jesus came. This is why he died. He loves you and nothing you have done has changed that. He died for you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to welcome you, but he will not override your will. He'll come to you and he'll knock, but you have to open. You have to participate with this. So if that's you today, you're you're in sin, you're in the wrong thing, but Jesus is knocking today and you want to open the door, I want you to just raise your hand real high right now. We're gonna pray for you. I see that hand and that hand and that hand and that hand and that hand. God bless you. And that hand back there and that hand in the back over there. God bless you. Everybody can, oh, yep, I've got you. You can put those down. Is there anybody else by upraised hand? Jesus loves us. He's waiting on us. Anybody else? You want to be part of this prayer? Okay. I'd like everybody that raised their hand, just put your hand on your heart right now and pray something like this in your own words to the Lord. Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sanctifying yourself, coming down to this world and dying on a cross for me. Lord, I hear you knocking today and I'm opening the door. Please, God, come in. Save me, wash me, forgive me. I receive right now that gift that you paid for called eternal life. Please, God, save me today. In Jesus' name, amen. Could we stand together, please? Maybe today you are here and you are definitely a Christian. You've given your heart to Christ. But you've just kind of become a mixture. And the fire is gone. You've still got the theology. But the Lord's saying, I want you to just, let's just dump that all out and let's get a new start. I am here, I have fire for you, I have garments of white, I have ISAV, I I died so that I could give you everything it takes to be sanctified. If that's you today, would you just open your arms like this? We're gonna pray. Lord, I think we live in a country where it's so, so easy to lose our fire. It's so easy to look up and all of a sudden we're lukewarm. Lord, you spoke to that church at Laodicea and here's what you said. (laughs) Repent, be earnest and repent because the only reason I'm disciplining you is because I love you so much. Holy Spirit, would you come and stir up those embers and bring fresh fire. Father, I pray. I pray that you would come and break the fear of man over us, God. 
break that voice that's always trying to get people to affirm us. Do they like me? Do they like me? Do they like me? Lord, burn that voice away. And Lord, give us this, those blinders that they put on horses that, that are just, it's just an audience of one. There's only one that I need to respond to. Lord, would you adjust our worldview? God, there's so much stuff going on right now. There's so many stories being told, one on CNN and different one on Fox News. And there's all these stories that gather our attention and there's all kinds of sides. Lord, we want to be on your side. Come and make our worldview your worldview, Jesus. We want to serve the story with our whole lives, God. And then, Lord, we want to make our identity in the grace of God. We want to take time every day to reflect on what you have done for us, that we are what you have made us. Would you raise up that boast in us for Jesus, for his love, for his cross, for his grace? And let that story in our mouths, in our lives, be a a good taste to this world, God, that so desperately needs you. Please, God. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, team. We're going to have some ministry teams up front. Have a great day. We're going to worship a little if you want to hang around. Bless you.